Welcome to Puritans Read, reading aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 8 of The Wiles of Satan by William Spurstow. Second, by way of disposition, small sins are as the priming of a post or pillar that prepare it to better receive those other colors that are to be laid upon it and in which it is to stand, or as the previous dippings of the wool in divers liquors, that it may drink in more fully the tincture of the scarlet. They beget powerful inclinations in the soul to greater sins and make a way for their entrance by corrupting men's apprehensions of sin both in respect of its deformity and its magnitude. No sin being equally ghastly and big to look on to him who admits familiarity with the least of sins as to him who abstains from all appearance of evil. It is Josephus's observation that Solomon's foul defection to those stupendous impieties of idolatry and the inordinate love of many strange women got its beginning from some lesser slips and failings against the law of God, such as his setting the brazen sea upon twelve oxen and making the figures of lions and cherubims upon its borders. And to him and other ancient Hebrews who are of the same opinion, Grotius inclines, adding also his multiplying of chariots and horses against the express command of God in Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, as another lapse before his strange departing and forsaking of the way. I shall not make it my work to determine what special warrant Solomon might have for what was done by him about things of the temple, which would free him from that part of the charge. But I think that whoever looks into his penitential book of the preacher may easily find that his fall was not perpendicular, and such which at once cast him as low as ever any of the holy men of God fell, but a sinking and sliding downwards, by degrees. Hence, from him learn who was the wisest man who ever was or shall be, that it is not wisdom that will keep a man from the worst of sins if he once allows or favors himself in lesser evils. Third, by way of subtraction, and withholding that which may hinder the commission of greater sins. The powerful preservatives against presumptuous evils are an awful fear of God and a heart touched with the due sense of sin. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? was Joseph's plea to his master's wife when she tempted him to folly. Genesis 39 verse 9. David's heart, when tender, smote him for an irreverent touch of Saul's garment, as well as for the cruel murder of Uriah. 
1 Samuel 24, verse 5. Now, both of these preservatives, a customary living in small sins, will waste and destroy by making the heart brawny and stiff. A path that is frequently trodden only by the foot of a child will contract a hardness as well as the beaten road, and so will the heart, in which little sins have a common passage to and fro, as well as the heart that is as the highway that leads to destruction. For all sin has the same tendency, though it does not work the effect in the like degree. As they who would keep themselves from a confirmed stone use daily helps to carry away the smaller gravel, so to prevent a flinty and obdurate heart, the care must be constant and the practice frequent of purging the conversation from little sins. Once the exercise of this duty is neglected, it can hardly be imagined how suddenly men come to do worse than ever. How is it that men sport themselves in the commission of those sins at the mention of which they would have once trembled and brutishly wallow in the midst of that mire, the least speck of which they would not formerly have allowed to be found on their garments? Is it not their compliance with lesser sins that makes them disregard greater ones? Is it not from their neglect of the fear of God, a powerful antidote against the growth of sin? This is made the cause by God himself of Israel's multiplied wickedness in Jeremiah 9 verse 3. They proceed from evil to evil and they know not me, saith the Lord. Fourth, by way of palliation and hiding them when done. All sin, as it has death for its wages, Romans 6, verse 23. So it has shame for its companion. Thence it is that men seek to cover one sin with another. Deeming it better to be guilty of two faults than to be convicted of one? And usually a greater sin is made the covering of a lesser one, as the vizard which is worn to disguise and hide a person's deformity is more deformed than the face that it covers. At the angel's tidings that she should have a child, Sarah laughed. And when he observed it, she denied it. Genesis 18, verse 15. To hide one sin, she committed another. She told a lie to free herself from the charge of laughter. And this second sin, if circumstances be weighed, will be found greater than the first. David, to conceal his adultery with Bathsheba, covered it with the murder of Uriah, her husband. A strange fig leaf to spread over so foul a crime. But where will not the shame of sin drive a man? If so holy a person as David could be secure, in having done evil to do worse. That excellent woman, Eudocia the Empress, wife of Theodosius the Younger, 
had an apple given to her by the emperor that was wonderfully large, that had been presented to him as a rarity. She bestowed it upon Paulinus, a learned person. He, not knowing from whom the empress had received it, offered it to the emperor. The emperor sent for his wife and asked her for the apple. She, fearing that her giving it away might displease the emperor, answered that she had eaten it. He urged her to tell the truth, but she swore that she had eaten it. Upon this, the incensed emperor brought forth the apple as a testimony against her, and in his jealousy killed innocent Paulinus and hated his own wife, who before was greatly beloved by him. Is it not then a matter of complaint as well as of wonder that this practice should be the common salve that many use to make others deem them innocent when they have done evil, to add to denials, oaths, curses, and bitter imprecations of themselves, little regarding what guilt they contract before God, so long as they may see blameless before men. But let such know that they that sow the wind and shall reap the whirlwind, and that as they cover one work of darkness with another, God shall add one judgment to another, and by the scorching flames of his wrath shall make them to read the truth of that divine maxim. He that hideth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Device 2. A second device and circumvention of Satan is a vexatious and restless importunity in urging to doing that sin to which he tempts. In this temptation, there are three parts. First, suggesting or casting evil thoughts into the mind. In John 13, verse 2, it is said that the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray his master. He threw as a dart that thought into him. Finding it then a fit season, both for him to make such a motion and for Judas to receive it. Second, persuading or backing the suggestion with arguments which may sway the understanding to approve and incline the will to consent to that evil as good. He presses sometime by way of terror, propounding sad events that will undoubtedly follow if there is not a yielding to what is suggested. Thus many are moved to a practice of stealing and deceiving through a conceived fear of want and poverty which will else inevitably fall on them. Others are moved to lying and perjury to preserve their life and liberty, which may be otherwise hazarded, if not lost. Thus Peter both denied and forswore his Lord to save himself from that danger which his being with him might otherwise have exposed him to. Sometimes 
Satan does this by way of enticement, setting before them the profit and advantage that will accrue by their compliance with his motion. Thus, Ahab's prophets, through the suggestion of a lying spirit, persuaded him to go up to Ramoth-Gilead because of the prosperous success that would attend his undertaking. 1 Kings 22, verse 21. And with a far more alluring bait, would the devil have courted our Savior to have done homage and obeisance unto him by promising to invest him with a right to all the kingdoms of the world upon that single condition, Matthew 4, verse 9. Third, a vehement and continued instigation to speedily execute what is suggested. This is the utmost extent of satanic power. First Chronicles 21 verse 1 says that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. The Syriac version renders it, he hurried David headlong, not by compelling him, but with instance again and again enforcing the motion till it was effected, notwithstanding Joab's just expostulations and averseness to it. The rule of fencing is, said Lipsius, repeat double and follow the blow when made. That is also Satan's practice, who pursues sometimes his suggestions without violence so as to rob men of their sleep so that they may wake to his temptations, to urge them, whether in company or alone, whether in their callings and recreations or in their solemn duties to God, to give them no freedom nor respite till he gains that from them by importunity, which he could not by argument and persuasion. That was episode eight of The Wiles of Satan.